after after all these years, you're still obsessing over tricks. Yeah, I think it's probably more now, more now than ever because. Why? Back, Why? Well, all right. I don't. It, it, this is all me personally. It has nothing to do with the industry or anybody else or or what people think of me. It's a mental battle slash dialogue I have with myself every time I walk out the door to get skateboarding, and it has a lot to do with. Am I an idiot for doing this? Like, I'm 50 years old. Like, I live my life sore and <clears throat> limping, you know? Like, I'm not, I'm, I sound like I'm 60 or 80 probably. But, I mean, I, I keep moving constantly, even if I'm sore or not. That's the one thing I've learned after skating for this long is if you, I mean, there are days when I just have to pile out on the couch and not, I'm just done. But, for the most part, I mean, I have a five-year-old, so I'm I'm go 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 with him all the time. My wife, I'm, so I don't have time to not be moving and going. So I just power through being sore and power through the pain. And I've done it for thirty years of my life skateboarding. Terrible happy talks. Terrible happy talks. is for Clementine and Otis. So today's guest is Chris Markovich. Chris is a husband, father, artist, and iconic skateboarder. This week, Chris is with me live from his home in Florida to share his journey, experiences, challenges, and hopes for the future. Mr. Chris Markovich, welcome. Thank you. Glad to be here. We got, we got there, brother. Are we there? We're, we're good, yeah? We're good. You sound great. Good deal. So we were just talking before we started recording before, and uh, you were talking about, you know, at 50 years of age, you're still obsessed with tricks. Uh, you know, you're thinking about tricks, right. and you're obsessed with it. Well, first off, I love skateboarding. It's, I mean, I did take a hiatus, but it's what I've done. Most more consistently than anything in my whole life. The whole, you know, fifty years. I've done it for thirty plus with the little with the hiatus, but it's it's just in me, and that's it. So I love skateboarding just in in itself. And there's so much, it's given me so much in my life. And there's the older I get, and there's nuances about it that you 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 find as you get older that I appreciate different things that a normal skateboarder doesn't see, you know. But like. Now that I'm older, I start really like seeing. I, that's I appreciate those things. So my obsession now is okay. I, I know that I'm 50, about two in a few months. I'm not trying to compete with anybody that's out there right now that's doing it. I just want to do like I know what a good skateboard trick looks like, and it doesn't have to be the newest, the hardest, the most technical. It does, and it doesn't. It just has to be done right, you know, and it has to be done. There's so many elements to make the trick done right. You know, you can make the trick right away. Ten people can do it, and only one of them did it right and made it look right. And it's not like people say that other people did it wrong, but there's something special about that one dude. And if people don't really realize what it is, they know that he's really good. It's because he looks right. He did it right. You know what I mean? So it's like, for me now... I pick and choose before I would just go skate. And I was like a bull in a China shop. I just went, rah, 
anytime I was on my skateboard, it didn't matter where I was. I just go off. That was just what I would do. It didn't, it wasn't like, Oh, I'm just going to be mellow today. I, some days I wouldn't even skate. And the next day I would just come home bleeding. I wouldn't stop until I was done, you know? And it was just, I would just get the trick, you know, and, that, and just keep skating. And that was just all about pushing our, like our little group that we would be filming with, like pushing with somebody. Cause you're filming with skating with two or three people. You're skating the same spot. They're trying something. You're trying something. So it, that becomes a focus and you get hyped for them. And it's, you know, you, it, it's a whole different thing, you know, and you kind of don't really think about doing the trick. You know, you want to get it clean for the footage, but that's it. So for me now it's about do a doing the trick, right. But how it feels like it's gotta like, I visual, I'll sit in my, like when I'm going to bed, I'm laying on my head on the pillow and I'll do the trick in my head over and over and over. Like, how, where am I going to set my foot on my board? How it's going to look as I spin? Where am I going to put my shoulder when I land and I have to point my truck to hit here? Like I do the whole, like it, I lay everything out in the longest possible, you know, sequence in my head and do it and think about every part of that trick. And I know how it's going to feel. Like I know if I'm going to be coming backwards down this thing, like I want to land and like my shoulders are going to do this and I know what it's going to look like. I have it. And if it doesn't look like that when I do it on film, like, or it doesn't feel that way, then I'm not happy with it. Like sometimes I'm, I'm too beat up and I'm too exhausted to even worry about it, but I'll do a trick. I, like the trick I've been battling with, like I landed a few times the other day and it was trash because I, I have everybody's, Oh, take it, take it. I'm like, no, like it's no, no. Like I don't, it's just, and that's a personal, that's just me. That's the way I've always been. So my obsession now is it doesn't, matter if it's what the trick is i just it's got to be done right and that's that's why i obsess over tricks now would you describe yourself as a perfectionist no <laughs> i mean i am but i'm not do you know what no. I mean? no um i mean i maybe with my skateboarding and not even my not even my skateboarding itself, but my skateboarding that I choose to show people to put out there. Like if I put something on Instagram, or if I like, there's a conscious. It doesn't. You don't go skating and your shit just shows up there. You know what I mean? Like you, you consciously whether you're if, like for me now, I have to post it. Or if somebody's at the park, like they see, they get a different angle, they post it, and and it, that's how it gets out there. And that's my little bubble of where it goes. Like. Before, yeah, I had sponsors and they do ads and the magazines are behind me and it was a whole different beast because I was doing it more, you know, I was in the game. And now I'm like, I'm older I'm with my family, I'm doing it on my own terms, having fun with it and not, I'm dipping my toes in it. But now it's like, it's way, way less hectic, you know? So, but I mean, yeah, it's, it's different now. I don't know. I, I, I'm sorry, I'm trailing off. <laughs> No, I guess I guess what I'm leading to is does that mindset transition to your approach to art? I think maybe this this hopefully this will answer the question in there. Like my skating, I don't like perfection. Like so, I'm not a perfectionist in that way. Like there, I won't name names, but there are skateboarders that are just so unbelievably good and talented. But, I mean, you, they don't sketch a trick. Everything is super, super perfect, you know? So people like that. I'd rather see somebody sketching and holding on for dear life and then 
making the trick and then you see their style come out of it. Then you see that's where you see what they really look like on the skateboard. Because if they make a trick bolts every time, it lo- everybody kind of looks the same. But if you sketch it and you, how you regain your, your thing, is that's your style. Like, that's what makes skateboarding what it is. Like So, yeah. Perfectionist, when I it comes... All right. Perf- I would say perfection is in the imperfections to me. That's the maybe the only way. That's the only way I can describe it because I'm not a perfectionist at all. But I see perfection when things aren't perfect. Now, after all these years of skateboarding, did you ever think that you would be desiring to produce footage at 50 years of age? Absolutely not. If you'd have asked me when I was 48. I'd say absolutely not. You know, it was a, you know, we moved to Florida and it just was happened to be, we moved a mile from the best park in Florida. It's free. I, I don't, I needed some, I had all this energy, you know, I, I, I'm going to go skate again. So I, that, I think it was just coming here and seeing it and knowing that, cause I've never really lived near parks i've never been a park skater you know i've always been a street skater i mean i skated everything but i just never gravitated towards that so when it was there it it was really good so any little obstacle was all there i didn't have to go around and find it, it was a mile from my house had everything that I, I needed and it just became fun again you know i felt like i was a kid again and it was i realized like not having it in my life didn't make me not who I was or was before. I just I wasn't happy. I, I too on a, on a deeper level, like so. Once I figured it out, and I mean, a lot had to do with me stop when I quit drinking. Because before I had quit drinking, people would ask me, "You still skating? You still skating?" I no, man. <laughs> and I would almost make a joke. I'd like, no way, man. My body is destroyed. Like it hurts too bad to even think about skating. And then. I stopped drinking and uh, I, and then, you know, a few months in, I had all this energy and I was like, what am I doing? What am I doing? Ah, I got to do something in my life. I was driving my wife crazy. I was being, being mad and I had to, and I'm not a gym dude either. You know, so I was like, I'm going to go to the gym. I'm gonna, so like, the first thing in my head was just go skating. Like my back, I feel actually I'm not hurting. Like my back's not always hurting. I'm like, and I felt better. So I started rolling around and then, when I actually realized I could do it and I was having fun, like one of the first tricks I did that somebody at the park filmed was this, my buddy Buck filmed it and we posted it on Instagram and then like the barracks picked it up and it had like 70,000 views. And like the, the first and I was like, what? This is like, are you, are you speaking? Did you sound muted again? No. Okay, good. good. No. Sorry. Yeah. So like, the first thing back, it went like, it went kind of crazy. And like, I was like, well, all right, well, people want... And then I started to get all these messages of people like, oh, so rad to see you skating again, yada, yada, yada. And then that was the icing on the cake because I was having fun. It was, you know, it was right next to my house. And then people were, you know, it's now looking at it, it's, it's, it gets me happy. Were you people, surprised? People are inspired. Were you, sorry, Chris. Yeah. Were you, surpri- were you surprised by that response? Absolutely. People? Absolutely. I mean, I, because I didn't skate for those 10 years didn't mean I wasn't... I'm still, I mean, I'm lots, that's all I do. I watch skateboarding, watch magazines, you know, that's all I'm constantly watching it. So I know it's up, man. It, 
Yeah. So I'm, you know, I'll always be. Do you mind if Do you mind if we go into that ten year hiatus a little bit? Was it a, a case of just being completely burnt out on skateboarding, or was it because you mentioned just sobriety? Was it because you're in a in a, a darker phase of, of maybe using alcohol? No, 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 no. It wasn't. It wasn't anything to do with alcohol. It was. I did a company, and I did it with my ex-wife and my partner and my ex-wife butted heads and that was the seed to start to the split. And that was in 2008 to 2010 that happened. And then 2010 we, they were arguing the fighting was going so much we couldn't resolve anything. So we split and tried to continue doing another company, my wife and I, and I was, I was done at that point. And then was that, was that given, given? yeah, it went from crimson to given. And then yeah. I was just done and I was still skating, but I didn't want to have anything to do with companies. I was like, I don't want a company. I mean, the last three that I'd been involved with were, had, were just down and it weren't, it weren't any of my, like the Hollywood was the last one that I was with and that was Todd Swank. And there was, I didn't own any of that. I had nothing. And, uh, when that deal started going bad, I, I, I walked away and then didn't have any, I wasn't riding for anybody. And then I, uh, I ended up riding for blind. And once the blind video was over, um, they went right back into filming a video. And the main thing for me to ride for them was they wanted to bring art back into it and split the company from the Reaper, all the Reaper kitty graphics and they wanted to go back original, a little bit to their roots originally with Mark and Zoss and do a lot of the art and the crayon logo that that Mark did. And that didn't really happen a lot. And I'm like, man, I'm a grown-ass man. I don't want these little Reaper graphics for every – I don't want to have to have a Reaper doing something funny for every one of my graphics. Like, that's just not how I saw this going, and that's not what the deal was when I got on the team. That's not what you presented to me. Whatever. So we split amicably, and then I didn't have a sponsor. And, uh, I was starting, we, me and my, my roommate were thinking, Charlie Thomas, we were talking about doing a wheel company and then I tore my ACL and then I didn't have a sponsor while I tore my ACL and it was go three or four months of me trying to ride. I was almost riding, for, you know, talking to people, but I'm like, I'm like, yeah, let me ride for you, but I can't do anything for like another year. Or so like, so no one really wanted to mess with me. And then it, the wheel company turned into us doing a company and that became Crimson. And I put my everything into Crimson. I put my heart, my soul, like everything into that. And then for that to go south and not be my fault, but my ex-wife time, you know, like that was, that was painful. And then trying to like, I don't even know. I, I, just looking back, it's like embarrassing. I didn't want to do Given. And it was like, we got to keep something going, you know. I mean, we put a little bit into it. And then it was just once I was done, I was like, all right, I'm done with doing that. But I'm not really trying to ride for anybody. So I still had a couple, like, clothing sponsors, all the smaller sponsors. And then it was like a like a light switch. Everybody kicked me off for being too old. And it was like, boom. And that was all their excuse. And I understood it because I've owned companies and had companies and know how that goes. So I wasn't, I wasn't surprised. I was The only one that stung was Vistal when they said it. And I, and I didn't care. It was like, they paid me like 250 bucks a month. It wasn't like the end all be all, wasn't it? But it was just the way they did it. And they were like, Hey, you know, not going to have you on the team. We're going to cut your pay, blah, blah, blah. You're just too old. Blah. And then literally like a, 
week later, their big announcement was Tony Alva's watch, like Tony Alva's signature watch. And I was just like, okay, gotcha. Like, I get it. You know, like no disrespect to Tony, but he's uh, 15 years older than me. Like, so that I'm like, all right, cool. And so that, that happened, that happened. And then it was like, all right, I'm done. I'm done. I'm done with skateboarding. Like, I don't, I'm not getting any sponsor. I'm over it. And then it was, I was like, all right, well, I guess I'm just going to, I guess I'll just paint. <laughs> and then it was kind of one of those, like, I kind of have to moments. I knew I was, I was already in them. I'd already been selling art and doing art. So it was, it was just, I remember <clears throat> it being one day when I, I'd hurt one of the days that I'd skated in between, I had hurt my knee and I couldn't paint this mural that I was working on the next day. And it was the first time that that had ever happened. Like, you know, I'd, I'd not been able to skate because I'd done stupid stuff doing other things, but I'd never not been able to skate because I was hurt from doing something else. And I was, you know, I never, I couldn't paint. And that was like, then I was mentally like, all right, wait, I can't go paint and I can't skate. Like, this is insane. Like, I've always had one when I didn't. So I then like, that's when I, the excuses started coming in. Like, oh, I, it hurts too bad. I'm too blah, 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 you know? And then years later, that went on for till about, well, my son's five now, so he was born in 2017. So, congratulations! On his uh, thank you, thank you. On his second birthday is when uh, I stopped drinking, and it wasn't. A, I mean, towards the end, it was more of a sleep thing for me. Like I, can't, I mean, I'm a horrible sleeper, insomnia. Just I, years and years and years. Same here. Oh, okay. I thought you were saying you can't hear. <laughs> <laughs> You're pointing at your. Mouth. I was like, you can't oh, hear again. The tech issues. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, no, I can hear. Sorry, keep going. It, this is really interesting. Yeah, yeah. So for you know, just being on tour and being in hotels and bands, it's just, my sleep pattern has been off forever, and uh, I haven't slept well since high school. And this is my son. Come here. He's he has Whoa. to. Sleep. You say what's hey. up? Hey, hey, man. Hello, world. How are you? Hello. <laughs> Hello from Australia. He's in Australia right now. Okay. All right, now go back to mama. Okay. <laughs> I love you. <laughs> oh man, isn't it, dude? Isn't it? Isn't it amazing? Hey, how wonderful! Yeah, it's. I'm I'm in awe daily. Like half the time, I'm like, I made me and my wife. We made that. We say that to each other. I'm like, we made that. Like we did that. Like we didn't. We know the Lord did it, but like we're like yeah insane and then half the time i'm like how have i kept you alive like how are you still alive how have you not how have i not let you you know like but that, after having him that first month i right, we kept him alive for a month yeah. like, that's it was yeah. like a month like that's i was i don't know terrified after having him so no not my first kid so it's always like i'm definitely life-changing it's the best thing to ever happened to me for sure and prompted you to maybe like i guess were you sort of saying that maybe the drinking wasn't a problem. It was just you oh, wanted no. to just be, be the best version of yourself because of your son. Definitely a problem in the sense of just I, looking at it now. The way I, like my outlook with outlook on sorry outlook on drinking now is yeah, it's a problem just yeah. casually to me. It is like I don't judge people for it, but for me, I just see how much time I wasted of my life, you know, drinking. And again, I'll go back to the the sleep thing, like. Being an insomniac for that long, like I remember the last few months before I quit drinking, we were planning, we were 
moving out of our house, getting all of our stuff into stores, just planning an East Coast trip. It was, we just had a lot going on the last month. A lot of things had to be, loose ends had to be tied up. And it was kind of, a, I was going out to to stay with Bam and paint at Bam's house. And it was like the calm before the storm, but the calm was, a st- our calm was the storm. Because we, we, went, we went into it, Bam's was just mental. But you know, so we had all that stuff going going on, and it was just like every night I'd lay down. What do I got to do? I don't know. And then just spin, 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 spin. And I would just stand up and go to the kitchen and start and then pound something, whatever. Probably usually Jack Daniels, just brown, brown, and then lay down, sleep, maybe pass out for a little while, wake up, feel like trash, and then just be like gross. And then it, I'd end up, oh, have a drink, and, you know, it's oh, it's one o'clock, so I'm not doing anything, you know, and it's kind of was like that. Not like overly, I didn't. No one knew I was drinking kind of thing. My wife knew we would have drinks, but it wasn't like I was a mess sloshing around alcoholic kind of stuff. It just kind of became like, okay to have a drink. It'd be three o'clock and be like, you want a beer? Yeah, okay. And like, that's just gross to me now for me to do that, you know? And it was just anytime it was okay. Anytime we'd eat, oh yeah, someone would be having drinks. But I digress. Back to the sleeping. I hadn't, you know, I was still doing that and that was my pattern. And then... When <laughs> I, it was Ransom's second birthday, we were, we were leaving to drive across country to head towards Renee's family from San Diego to uh, Richmond, Virginia. And it's a normal thing to get to the hotel after driving 10, 12 hours before you get your room, you go to Walmart and grab a bottle of wine or the liquor store, whatever's there, because you need to get to the hotel, eat dinner and unwind and have a glass, have a shot, have whatever to knock the edge off the caffeine that you've been trying, you've been drinking for nine or 10 hours in the car. So it's like, it's a vicious cycle. And by the time you get, I mean, I've just, and I've done it so many times that I didn't want to do it again. By the time you take that road trip, your, your judgment in the food you eat goes down the hill. You don't care what you're eating. So you're stopping at every gas station, eating nachos, eating the crap. This is right there. Cause you already feel like crap. And you're just, by the time you get to the East coast, you're just a pile just you're just everything's terrible you know and i this is different because it's you know i'm with my family my wife and my son so i was looking at it that was one of it but at the second the the other thing i didn't want is after the stressful months that we were having that what everything we just gone through we're gonna be in a car for five days with a two-year-old and the dog and that's like everybody you can laugh whatever it's a shitty situation but like that it's very detrimental to a relationship, like a family. Like we could have, like it could have gone either way, you know. And I didn't want to do any. I didn't want to add anything to that potentially happen. So I didn't want to drink, so I could at least be clear headed and at least, you know, I can make better decisions on what to eat across the way. So when I get to the East Coast, I'm gonna feel okay. I'm not gonna feel like I just. I'm, I don't want that feeling again. So we got to Renee's parents, and it was a week that I didn't drink, and then we were there in Richmond for a week. And then we were going up to BAMS. And then, you know, that week, I'm like, I don't need to drink. I'm at her parents' house. I'm not doing anything. So I didn't drink there. So that was two weeks. And then I'm like, all right, well, the first week at BAMS, BAM, you know, I'm going to be skating and painting. I don't need to be drinking. So I'm not, that'll be three weeks. I'm just going to keep this going. And then once I got to BAMS, I kept it going. It was whatever, you know, a month went by. I'm just going to keep doing it. And then about three months in, I remember waking up in the morning. And uh, it was almost like one of those hangover moments where you wake up and you're like, I do last night. What time is it? Who did I piss off? Who's mad at me? Like one of those, like 
but it wasn't in a, everything was positive. I woke up and I was like, looked at Renee and I'm like, I don't remember falling asleep last night. She's like, yeah, you passed out early. I was like, really? Eh, whatever. And then I, but I felt great. And then that, and I skated that day. And then that night I fell asleep again. It was like nine 30, between nine 30 and 10. And for like a week I was like clocking it. And I, I was falling asleep like clockwork every night without having to take a drink of melatonin or to, you know, like have a chamomile tea or take a melatonin or whatever. Like I didn't have to do anything like that. And I was just falling asleep and I feel great. And I haven't picked up a drink since because, and I'm my sleep. I, I can go to sleep anytime now. Like, and it's amazing. I've wow. slept better as of, you know, since what I was 47, like these last two years, three years, I've slept better than I have in 20 years. Wow, yes, brother. that's the main reason. So there isn't anything like I went to rehab or I, you know, I did this or I crashed my car. Or I get DUI. It's like, no, it was just, I've made a decision to stop drinking because I wanted to feel better for a week and not like potentially ruin my marriage by jumping in a car and driving across country. And then it just, I think daily I was feeling better and better and better, not realizing it, you know, but I was like, it had been the longest that I had gone without alcohol in years, you know, and then. Then it just became. You were breaking. What's that? You were breaking a behavior. You well, you were breaking a behavior pattern as well. Yeah, yeah. It's hard. It's hard to undo that programming. Thanks for sharing that story about your sleep. I mean, it's so good for me to hear, to be honest, because I mean, I'm 45, and sleep has been one of the biggest issues in my life. You know, and then I'm also someone who doesn't drink and haven't done for about nine years now, and. Funnily enough, my sleep is only getting really good now after nine years. And I found when I stopped drinking, my mind was actually working more because it's like, oh my God, I've got more, you know, it's all awake now. You know? mm-hmm. And I really battled, I really battled with that. It's crazy. Do you it's, think. Sorry, sorry I was, I was okay. saying it's, it's clarity is a, is a funny thing when you think about it in that sense because you, you are alone with your thoughts not numbed so you hear everything that goes through your head and it's hard to to deal with all that going on because it's for me i don't know it's like taking a like a shake up snow globe and everything kind of settles you know like you gotta like figure out like there's a lot going on so for me like i had skating and art so whenever there i'd anything was too much rattle going on. Like I would just, I, you know, I, that's, that's what I meant by having too much energy. Like that was the mental energy and physical energy. Cause you know, so you, you were able to channel it right yes. into those things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So do you think, do you think if it wasn't for that mental energy you had, maybe it wouldn't have propelled you to where you got with things like skateboarding and art? I, I think so. I, I, I mean, I, it's definitely been a driving factor for me, like the inner, my inner dialogue to keep me motivated and doing things. You know, I'm my worst critic. I'm, you know, I mean, I, I, my art's a little different. Like it took me a long time. Cause I always in my head was, I was a skateboarder. I'm a skateboarder. Yeah. I have a paintbrush. Hey, I'm a skateboarder. That eats. And then when I wasn't skate, you know, it, it was, it was I, and it's again, inner dialogue, inner mental madness that I have. It took me a really long time to even be able to say, <clears throat> to say that I'm an artist and say like, really? it's just weird. It sounded why? weird. Why? I don't know. I just maybe pretentious. I don't know what, and I don't know why. It, I don't know. Art's a funny thing. And to, 
it's a hard, it's a claim to say you're an artist, you know? And I, well, I got a, I, I got a question for you then. Okay. How did it feel to see the Tampa contest, this year's Tampa contest covered in your artwork? I mean, it, <laughs> it, it's a weird, it's weird because it didn't seem real. It doesn't see, it still doesn't seem real, you know? And it's not like it's such a, amazing. like, it's a huge stage and it's a huge, I mean, it's Tampa. It's amazing. So there's one side of me that was like, like when I was there painting at one of the nights, cause Brian gave me keys cause I live, it's 20 minutes from me. So instead of like, I mean, Lucas Beaufort, who just did it this year, like he flew in and had a small window to do it, you know? And that's a big space. And I was lucky enough to live here to where Brian's like, here, just come in whenever. So I'd go in, when they'd close at eight at night, I'd have the keys. They'd leave the alarm off when in the, in the park where I was at. And I'd just paint, you know, four or five hours, six hours, and then just lock up and go home. And I would do that a few times a week. So I had the place to myself a lot and I'd put the music on, but there'd be like nights I'd be in there. One of the lights are on the fans spinning and there's no one in there, but me. And I'm like walking through there, like just looking around, like it's like, serious hallowed ground like so much has gone down in there like moments in history that like you know to if you're not a skateboarder it, you're not going to understand it but the the energy and the excitement and the just epic things have happened in that that building so to be in there like i like touched the walls and like you know what i mean like i i, I took it all in so yes there's that side of me that's just was like this is amazing. Like I, and it felt great to be, cause I've skated a few, a bunch, you know, Tampa pros. So to, to skate the contest and then years later, come back and be able to paint it. That was like a, it's a cool full circle thing. And, you know, so seeing it on the video game from that, when they use the, the course in the, there's a skater XL video game that he has the Tampa course with my, with the art in it. So that was, that was pretty cool. Like, it, it, yeah, dude. I don't know. See, during Instagram, during that time, we're showing all the clips. So my feed was just like every other thing was my art. And I just kind of, I guess I got numb to it. And I just kind of, just <laughs> anytime I'd see that yellow, I would just keep scrolling. Like, uh, and by the end of it, I was like, kind of sick of seeing it because at my whole feed. And then now it's, I look back on it and like now anytime a clip comes up, now that it's changed, it's really cool. Cause it did, it's, it was so bright, so big, so many faces. And it was like, I, I mm. in my head, I was like, well, they're definitely going to know that I was there. So that was, that was kind of, <laughs> I thought it was, I remember I, when I first seen it, I was like, that makes sense. That's the tribute that should have happened to Chris Markovich a long time ago, in my opinion, oh, that's awesome. because you know, I feel like from Australia here, we don't know much about America, really. But when I think of Florida, I do think of you <laughs> in terms of skateboarding. That's right. And um, I, my question, though, is are you are you hypercritical of yourself when it comes to art? Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. So when you were seeing when you were seeing all that stuff, when you seen your artwork at the Tampa contest. Oh, I'm just seeing all the lines I messed up and the things I should have done, I, I, where I should have done, like. This ramp, like, oh, if I'd have had five more minutes or, you know what I mean, like, whatever. But it's in the moment when I was finishing painting, I'm like, I don't want to see another paintbrush. I'm done. I'm not touching the paintbrush for at least a month. I don't want to go near paint. Don't ask me to paint anything. I'm done. And 
So there was it was a mix of a mix of emotions. Like, yes, I'm so happy over, and then sitting there watching the contest from different angles of the park. Like mm-hmm. that face should have been this long, or that eyes droopy, or I didn't feel that eyelid in. Or that, I mean, I just that was my that was what my was going on. I was watching the skating, but most of the time I was looking at my artwork and seeing all the places that I had messed up. But How no one else would know. No one else knows any of that. You know, like I'll, my wife and I talk about it all the time. I'll say, Oh, I don't like this part of this, this And she's like, it looks great. Like, what are you talking about? No one, you're the only one that notices that. So. Do you feel like you're leaving a legacy for your son through your artwork? <sighs> I've never really thought about that. I would hope. Okay. I mean, I don't know. I, again, part of the reason why I started skateboarding again is I didn't want my son to only hear his dad talk about what he used to do. Oh, he's in these videos. Oh, back in the day, back in the day. That to me is just dying a death every time he says it. Like, you know, like, oh, it isn't clear. Let's watch that video again. And it's like, even if he doesn't skateboard, he loves, he loves skateboarding. He's still not, he's still like, Oh, a squirrel and wants to do that. So he's not fully into it yet. He'll go to the skate park and he'll, he'll, he, he's getting there. So I'm just letting him do it on his own time. But even if he never touches the skateboard or goes near it, he's seen me do it and he knows that. So he can look back at the whole videos but he sees me doing it now, so he's got a visual of it and knows that that's what my, his dad did. And he sees me painting, so I just, I want, I think maybe for him, I want him to see, like, I mean, I am, I mean, I was 45 when I had him, so I was an older father, and, and even when I was 20, 24-year-olds' careers were over at skateboarding, you know, so... I have a, a skewed, my father was older too. So I have a skewed version of like parenthood and adult, not a, just adults, like older. I thought young people were really old when I was young. Do you know what I mean? Like it just seemed like, yeah. and still to me, like I look at a 50 year old and I think, damn, that dude's 50. I'm like, oh shit, I'm 50. You know what I mean? And it's like, but I don't do 50 year old things. Like I don't, I go skateboarding every day. My son and I were running around a water park spitting water all day yesterday. You know, my wife and I, we, we're not, I don't do 50 year old things. And I, I want, I don't know. I don't, I, 50 to me was like a grandpa when I was a kid, you know? And I, and I, I want to be like 50 year olds. Now there's so many old skateboarders, so many older skateboarders, there's so many older surfers. There's people like it's you, I don't know. I don't want to be that dude, but <laughs> I don't know. I feel like there's a resurgence. I think there's a lot of guys in their forties and fifties realizing that, Hey, I'm not done. Yeah. You don't if I look after to. my, if, if I look after my body, I can still go. Mm-hmm. And I, I was watching, watching the nine club a few weeks ago and Justin Eldridge picked you one of your tricks at that skate park as they have this segment called Eldie's pick of the week. Yeah, and I think yeah. you do like a, it's like a backside, it's like a backside 270 to frontside nose bump slide. Or mm-hmm. was that here? I think that was that the trick. Yeah. You know, and I'm just sitting there watching it, and they're like, you know, you got Jerron Wilson, you know, uh, Chris Roberts, and and Justin Eldridge just going, Markovic, like, just doesn't stop, like that that. And they were like, that trick is still progressive for a, a twenty or, or thirty year old, and it's mate, it's as a forty five year old myself, it's so inspiring. So you know, I don't know, I think you're inspiring this new generation of older older skaters having a having another shot at the title. I mean. 
maybe that's something that I can give back to skating or give back. I, since, I mean, it's funny to say like this, not even like since I started this journey of skating, it's, it's nothing like that. It's not like since I went, it's not, it's like no <laughs> preconceived thought. It was just like, there's a skate park. I need to go skate. And I went and skated and then it started happening, you know, but it's amazing. I, I don't know. Yeah. Well, listen, man, I've listen. I, on Instagram the other day, I put out a, a, a question to people and said, uh, I'm recording with Chris Markovich. Just shoot me some questions. So oh. do you mind if I ask you some listener questions? Here we go. Now, obviously some stuff from your world days has come up. So I've got a question here from uh, Darren Caney. He's asked, can you tell us, one of your favorite Rocco stories. Mm. <laughs> Rocco comes up a lot in, in a lot of these things, but. Um, Rocco yeah. story. I mean. Do you have good memories of that, yeah, of that, I, I of that time? I do. And that's the thing. Like I have a. Uh, so here's, here's what I'll say about Rocco. I was on his good side. In the sense of like when I met him, I was a skateboarder. I got on the team, and he had every, you know it was a madhouse. It was a circus. Everybody, like you, I mean, you know the world. How many riders he had, and they were all young, fifteen to seventeen. Like here's a ton of money. Go act like animals. Like that's basically what it was. And you know, Steve, he was a beast. Like he, but if he was on your side and. You were working with him, you know, it sounds lame, but I never saw it that way. Looking back on it, that's exactly how it was. You know, like I was just on his good side. He didn't turn any of his shit towards me, you know? And it, I don't know. I've seen him do some really, really raw things, but I've also seen him do amazing things. You know, like my, I guess my Rocco, Rocco story, and it's not going to be, it's a good one is we went on a prime tour up the West coast to, uh, Seattle and we were going to kind of go around Oregon, Washington and just drive down. And they had the team van. And then he had, he came up in his land cruiser and it turned into for me because he knew I played golf. There's a bunch of really nice courses in, up in the Pacific Northwest. So it was a skate tour interspersed with the dudes going and doing random shit during the time off when me, Mark, and Steve would go play golf on these courses. And we'd play these like courses where we'd get there and Steve would have to buy us outfits because we didn't have the proper attire because we were skateboarders, you know, and he's spending like five G's at this course so he can get the tea time just because he's like Steve and wants to play that course because he's on in the state and he's going to make it happen, you know? And so things like that, he did a lot. Like, like, I don't know. He would just, give you the keys to his car and tell you to go to the store and you're just 19 whipping a 911 brand new 911 Porsche to the store. And just, you know, just stuff like that. He was really, for me, it was a good, I had a good experience and, and you know, I've always respected him as a businessman because people skateboarding's funny and people are funny. Like business is business. It's not a friendship. You don't have to be nice in business. You know, skateboarding likes to think like, Oh, we got to be, you know, we're skateboarder all together. No, every company, they, everyone internally, it's not as friendly as you think it is, you know. And everybody's, I don't know. I'll, I'm yeah. negative. I don't want to go down that route. With that. I'll be quiet. No, <laughs> no, and I'm sure it's it's bittersweet. You've had such a long career. 
I guess a question I want to ask you again is, and I asked you, we talked about it before we started recording. It's like, if you had your time again, because you were so you were so pivotal in those early nineties, it was like such a developmental time for skateboarding, and you rode for like literally the best companies, um, and under under the under the world banner as well. Because I mean, what would you do differently though? Looking looking back, I'm really curious about that. Um, in terms of career moves, career moves. I, see, 2020. Hindsight, always, obviously, you know, looking back, I can see like, yeah, this, I would have done this, 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 or this, but that it's, uh, I, I wouldn't, I don't, I wouldn't change anything. Like everything that happened at all those companies and everything that's happened in my life, you know, is, there was a reason why I left, I learned. And then when I got to the next place, I was able to, to take what I learned and know not to do that again you know, and not to, so I've learned a lot. I've learned hard, hard lessons, you know, for doing that kind of thing. But I mean, it's learning what not to do is very, very important, (laughs) you know, and I've had the opportunity to do that, but there was a reason that I left every one of those situations into the next one, you know, and it's made me who I am today. So no, yeah. I mean, yeah, I can look back and say, yeah, this should have been done differently. I would have done this and I would have done that. I would have done this. But any one of those decisions changing those would change something down the way and it would make me, I wouldn't be who I am today. And I, like I, I we were saying earlier, like I'm in a really good place in my life. I have a beautiful family, my wife, my son, like I wouldn't change that for anything. I wouldn't, you know, butterfly affect it in any way. You know what I mean? Like to change one little ah. thing, who knows? And like I said, I, my family is perfect. My wife and my son are my world and, I wouldn't change a thing about them. So that way and in that aspect, no, I wouldn't change a thing. That I, Every fuck up, everything that I've wrecked, every argument, everything I've done, I mean, I did it. I've got to own it, you know, and, and I do and I will. And so. Is, is this the happiest stage of your life? Absolutely. It's scary as all hell being, you know, a, an artist and having a, a wife and a, and a son and, and trying to provide for your family and, and, I don't know what's going on in the world now, you know, but being an artist, like you're the first barometer, you're, you're a good barometer of what the economy is because when people are spending money, then people are buying art. But when people aren't spending money and people are okay, we need to hold back on it. That's luxury. The first thing that goes, nobody's buying art when there's like, you know, I don't know, inflation right now, you know, there's different things like people, there's, it's, I'm the first, it's right on the front line. So like, it's, it's scary, but I, I wouldn't, I love it. And I love, like I said, I love my family and I'm able to, it, it awards me the time to be able to enjoy my son. And it's funny because you hear, how old your son? He's five. Oh, enjoy that time now. Cause they're going to, it's going to blink and I'm going to be gone. I'm like, I know that. And I, I believe me, my wife and I say that every day. We don't like, we're very conscious and very aware of how blessed we are. And, and we both, you know, our schedule is a lot of time to where we can spend. We don't have to put him in daycare. We're with him all the time. We're homeschooling him. So nice. it's like we want to be with him we, and we're blessed to have that time and blessed to be able to do it. So, you know, that's, yeah, I'm definitely the the happiest I've been in my life. For sure. Like for, just talking about your art a little bit more, how, how have you had to, or how have you adapted to this changing world in order to stay relevant and, financially practical in this world with your art like what are what are things you're doing to help it obviously 
your art's great, but how, how are you making it, you know, sustainable for a, a living? Are you what are you adapting to? Um, for me, becoming more digital based, not digital based, but I've shunned away from prints. I've shunned away. I've never, I haven't done much merch. I've always just done my art, my hand painted stuff. So there's not a lot of like merchandise stuff out there. So as of late, I've been kind of going into that a little bit more, but like NFT. Well, that's my, I can't, I mean, I'm not that I can't, but that's what I've been working on for the past few months is figuring out, like I could have just made a few and put them out there right away and just made NFTs and had them and done them. But for the last, you know, six, eight months, I've had people tell me, you got to do NFTs. You got to do NFTs, NFTs, NFTs. And every, it's the buzzword. Every NFTs. I'm like, I don't know what NFTs are. And I'm not going to just do something and just put it out there and be like, Oh, Hey, I don't know what it is, but here you go. I made it for you. Like, so I wanted to learn. And my wife is, is at the same point was, she was having clients of hers talking about, you know, cryptocurrency and NFTs and this and that. So she's like, I, you know, everybody's talking about it. People are telling you to do it. So I want to learn about it. And she's just been like a beast with it, like learning as much as she can, watching, you know, following things. So she knows she's constantly like, so she's like in it now. Like she's fully invested mentally and, and learning and doing it and grasping concepts. And so for the past couple months, two, three months, like I've been, right alongside of her doing my own thing and trying to figure out ways to, to make it make sense for me. But that's the net. I mean, that's where, and it's funny because it's, it is so new that no one really knows. It's not, doesn't have a, a set thing. You know what I mean? It can be anything you can do. And so there's, it's, it's such a blank canvas right now. And so young, it's exciting. So I'm, I'm trying to learn it as much as I can about that world. And it's, it's scary because I, I'm not that dude. I'm not a computer dude. I'm not, you know, I'd rather. It I, makes I, a lot of. I, I use it as a tool. That's what I want to have it as, but I don't want to have it. I don't want to live in the damn thing. I don't want to live in the metaverse. I don't want to do that. I like the real world. Real world's big enough. I don't want to go live in another one, too. It does make sense for an artist, though. No, I know. It fully does. It makes sense. I'm just saying, like, that's that was my old book. I was asked with computers, like, and social media, I'd always be like, well, not on social media for like a week. And people are like, where were you? I didn't say I was like, I was actually living my life. I wasn't coasting about it. You know, like I was out doing it. Like, so I, <laughs> I, I don't know. I have a love hate relationship with it, but yeah, that for it's becoming more just tech savvy and more like on the digital side. That's what's carrying us into the future for sure for my art. Yeah. But it's also it gives you the opportunity to express yourself creatively. And, and it's the same, def, definitely. And one another thing, this is a <laughs> it goes back to what we were talking about earlier. And this is so I've got skateboarding, and if I get hurt skating, then I've got my art. I got painting, but if I'm too sore to to paint, and even if my knee hurts painting, then I've got my computer, and I can just lay like a vegetable, and I can make art on my computer. So like. You know what I mean? And so I've got a third outlet. That's how I have to look at it. Like if I'm too sort of skate and too sort of paint, but I'm still spinning wheels and need to get something out, then I can draw on my computer. <laughs> That's right. That's so rad. Hey, I'm going to hit you with another listener question. Jeremy Rowling asked about your modeling career. Were you a model? 
Did you did you model for Calvin Klein or something once? Yeah, no. Well, I rode for Calvin Klein eyewear. I didn't model for him or anything, but I had eyewear and I was on like this weird that's weird thing. That was there, but I did um No, I wasn't I, I didn't have a modeling career. <laughs> I uh <laughs> I went on a commercial shoot in LA and uh it was for Robert Mitchum. I don't know if you remember that actor. But it was like a documentary about his life, and there was, I guess, he spent a, a period of his life. Have you ever heard of Bruce Weber, the photographer? He's like a famous male photographer, like fashion photographer. Um, so he was shooting the documentary, and uh, I went up for the commercial shoot, and when we were filling out the forms or whatever, I pulled out my wallet, and my, my mom, we had tea bags at the time, and I had this little Velcro wallet that my mom made out of all the leftover materials. So I pulled that out for my ID and the photographer that Bruce Weber would happen to see it and be standing there. And he was like, Oh, where did you get those or whatever? Told him and gave him, gave the lady a card for him. She whatever. And then that was it. I left the commercial, went home. And then a couple weeks later, my mom, they got a call at our house. And this is like answer machine time, like early nineties, you know, before cell phones. So she got a call and it was somebody from the modeling agency that was doing something that worked with Bruce Weber or whatnot. And they asked for my mom, they wanted to see Polaroids of me because he remembered me at the shoot and they wanted to possibly see if I would work whatever for this Ralph Lauren campaign. And, uh, so we sent Polaroids and yeah, then I got the job. I did a Ralph Lauren campaign, like up in Santa Barbara on some ranches and shit. And then that was one. And then I did like a double RL, um, snowboard like their snow gear up in the in tahoe went for like a week snowboarding so i mean i i got paid a lot and got to go snowboarding but that that was it it was just two photo shoots and that was it no no uh, model crew but was there a period of time though where you were just overwhelmed with opportunities you know these these things would pop up regularly like brands wanting you to ride for them yeah how do you manage that it wasn't overwhelming to where it was like, there's so much shit going on. I don't know what to do, you know, but it was like, I look back at it now, like later. So right now, I'll just put it like this and maybe this will explain it. So best way that I could say it, like if I wanted to start a company now, like let's say I wanted, I don't know, pick a, I mean, I could say I wanted to start a surfboard lease company, right? Back then. And now let's say in 97, 98, like that's kind of the height when I was doing everything, like filming everything. I had whatever traveling. Yeah. I could have just said, I wanted to do a surfboard leash company and gotcha. somebody at the company I wrote, there could have been two phone calls made and I would have had people, it, it would have just already started the ball would have been rolling and it could have done, you know what I mean? Like this, that kind of thing. Yeah. Now, if I wanted to do that, I've got to like knock, knocked down you know i gotta find everything I, it would become on my shoulders for me to do and i would have to knock convince people to buy this lease and get on board whereas there's already at that time you're just there's so much going on around you company-wise you have a, like such a team around you of people that you don't even realize because you've got your board sponsor your truck sponsor your wheel sponsor your clothing sponsor your shoe sponsor all those people are all talking you up to other people and trying to do as much as they can for you. So you have this team that you don't even realize that's like fighting for you and working for you. So at the time, like it wasn't like I had, I could have just done anything I wanted, you know? And I, 
mean, I kind of did um, as far as starting things, different people and different stuff. You know, as you can tell, a lot of them didn't work out because I was like, yeah, let's do it, whatever, without really even, you know, putting too much thought into it, who I was working with. But yeah, it was just fun. Which like, it didn't fun. really matter at the time. You weren't like, oh, we're, we're starting this business and we're putting our life savings into it to where, like, if we don't make it, like, it's detrimental to somebody's future. Like, it was never anything like that. Like, we're starting a wheel company for skateboarding. You know what I mean? Like, it wasn't like we were... I don't know, saving lives. It was like, you know, so we're not like, it wasn't like anybody had their life savings into this. So we did a lot of dumb stuff, you know, company wise. Which board, which, or which board company do you feel like you most belonged? If you had to, if you had to pick one. Hmm. That's a good, damn, that's a good question. Most belong. Color. Yes. Awesome. I would say color. I, I, I used to love that. Because color yeah. transferred into prime. It was supposed to be this. Uh, yeah. Now, yeah. color turned into prime. And the color was uh, color was awesome. And then just a lot of the back end stuff with the the, the money backer. Like, I, I, it was Mark Oblo and I that did the company. And mm-hmm. we partnered up with Rich Metaver for, from Union Wheels. And I always got along great with Rich. I had not a problem with it. And it was a surprise to me when the split happened. When it's not a surprise, but Ablo had to do the day-to-day dealings with Metaver. Like Mark and I, I'd be skating. Mark was filming. He was a filmer. But Mark would also be the one that would be uh, the liaison between the team up to Metaver. So if we had idea our graphics, we tell Mark the graphics that we wanted and Mark would have to talk to Metaver and facilitate it. So Mark had to deal with Metaver daily, get our packages sent, get this sent down, do, you know, just those kind of things. And unbeknownst to me for months, he and Metaver were just at each other's throats. They weren't getting along and they were, so it got, finally got to a point where Mark was like, man, I can't work with this dude anymore. Blah, 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 blah. And then that was the start of us splitting and then going to Rocco and then basically doing color at Rocco, but he wouldn't let us have the name. So we had to change it to prime. And then that's when it switched to prime. And, mm-hmm. and then it just lost its, and then, I mean, it then became something different. Didn't lose anything, but yeah. it just became something different and wow. color. It's so delicate. Yeah. So it was like, you know, again, I left color, which is the company that I'd started my first one. And then it, mm. it was, I could have stayed and been on color, but Mark was leaving. Mm. All the other dudes are wanting to leave because Mark was leaving. I wasn't going to stay behind. So we just uprooted and yeah. went and tried to continue. And we did, we continued to make prime and prime was red. That, that period of time, I remember the color video, then the prime video. And I think it was union, the union video mm-hmm. as well. I think they all sort of happened really close to each other. Yeah, they were all, it was Union, then Color, which were like boom, boom, and then the Prime video came out after that. And and over the course of your life, you know, you've had so many video parts. I'm going to put it, I'm going to put you on the spot. Like, which video part are you most proud of? Hmm. On a personal, on a per, on a personal level, I'm not, I'm not necessarily talking about which was the most popular. I would say Prime. Which one? The Fight Fire with Fire. Only because I had a purpose for that part, like a direction for not a direction, but more of a purpose, a personal thing where I wanted to try to be technical, as technical as I could be for you know, like and still do because that's the. 
that's the most I've ever flipped my board in a video part, I think. Like, I mean, I jumped down a lot of big stuff, but I like flipped into manuals. I flipped in it. I think it was 94. So like at the time there was like, there weren't in like NBDs or anything like that, but there weren't a lot of people doing those on a regular basis. You know what I mean? Like, so it wasn't like they were groundbreaking the newest first time you'd ever seen them. But for me and somebody that skates like me, like that was special for me, you know, like I like, made it a point to be technical and it can, I think it kind of came through in the part, but I mean, then there's the foundation video is I'm proud of that one for another, you know, and then our audio video. So there's like, I have little bits and pieces of different reasons why I like different ones. Most proud. I would say prime. I just, I'm really intrigued by you because I just, as, as much as you're talking about this stuff, I just don't get the sense that you are living in the past. No, I get the sense. No, I really sense that. And but it would be so easy to, you know, considering the amount of work you put into all those different video parts. I find it really, I mean, really interesting. It'd be easy to do that, you know, and just. Dwell, but I think you become bitter, maybe, and all like living. I don't know. I don't want to live in the past. Like, is there is there spikes of bitterness though? Sometimes. Um. No, Maybe, no, I don't know. I don't know. I love skateboarding and I love my time in and I love everything that I got. I mean, no, no. I mean, there's things no, about no. it that I think are gross that, that, that have always been gross, you know, but I think that just yeah. goes with what anything you do. Like, I think it's the, uh, yeah, there's, yeah, gross stuff. It. there's gross things and everything, you know what I mean? So it's, I love it. <laughs> I love skateboarding. And I, I got, I, I know no, good. No, I, so I've got another listener question, and and again, uh, Darren Caney asks, "Who's your favorite Australian skateboarder?" And and then he wrote, "And why is it Al Boglio?" And why is it Al Boglio? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's funny. So can you answer that? So what's he alluding to there? Like, who's your fa- like who's your favorite skater? But he's sort of then saying, "Well, why is it Al Boglio?" I don't know. That's a weird one. I, I love Al Boglio though. Like Al was when, yeah, yeah, he's the best. <laughs> that dude's style. When I first saw him, ninety, I don't know. It had to been like ninety three. I don't. Know, I just remember skating with him, and he had the best switch pop shove it. And I, I don't know. Then we just, then he was awesome. He's just a rad dude. I don't know. Yeah. So I'm. Yeah. It, it is Al Boglio because he's the he's the best. <laughs> No, he he yeah. he had he was like the smoothest dude. Like skating with him, he was always super smooth. I don't know. I had fond fond memories of him and Christian hanging out with Christian West, like for the whole time. Yeah, crime video. Like those dudes were awesome. Like, I don't know. So cool. Fond fond memories. Yeah, Australia is like my. I don't know. I didn't go there too much later in later in my career, but early in my career, I went a few times, three, four, five, six times, and it was I, I loved it there. Like. My favorite place to tour. Yeah, I'm gonna just relay something to you. Like I've had a lot of different people sort of uh, referring to a demo you did in a, a area of Sydney called Manly back in '94 mm-hmm. at this place called Curl Park, and you know it was so significant for Australia at the time because I think it was like all oh, you world guys. It was like you. I think Costin was there. That was a big world. I remember that. Yeah, and uh, this particular skate park, it was like really the first public skate park, I think, that was decent. And um, I think it was just such a 
big moment for that that generation and a lot of people keep bringing it up like do you remember the demo in 94 at manly okay so manly what? is super tight small bowl corners is there a spine, yes, spine into a spine it, i remember uh, i remember being yeah, i remember Kareem a, doing an alley blindside kickflip and tripping out because it was super super tight trannies in that place manly i remember silver coping like kind of white I'm, yeah, why? Yeah, and it had like a nipple thing that I think Kareem. I know. I I remember. Um, I remember that. that you're talking because sure. I, I guess my question is that you know this is where it's interesting for me is that all these people remember that it was a significant moment and you had an impact on those people. Do you aware? Are you aware of that impact? And do you rem, do you remember like these things? Do you remember a lot of the demos? I do. I remember different, I remember, I don't remember, like, yes and no, like, I'll remember like that right there. You said Manly and that clicked and I, I can see it. I can see the footage in there and it, I remember it being super crowded when we were there and everybody standing everywhere and it was like claustrophobic and like, mm. it was a lot of people and I, and I, so I remember the different things like that, but then I don't remember. I, I just saw, I posted a clip of a frontside flip from the Napa park. And it's like old long hair footage of the early nineties. I rode for vans and it was around the, it was Oblo film. It was around color time. And I didn't remember it. I was like, is that me? Like I had to look at it so many times. Like that's my, it is me. But I, it's kind of blurry old super eight looking footage. And I'm like, then I know me, I know my style and I know it's me, but I was like, I did not have any, I still to this day don't have any recollection of doing that. I don't remember being at that park and I'm watching footage of it. So there's that side of it where I don't remember anything. But then I remember, I remember skating St. Ives on an element tour and, and smacking my head and still to this day can see the kid. If the kid just didn't lift his feet, I wouldn't have hit my face on the concrete and I'd have been fine. But he moved his feet out of the way and my head just hit the hit the, the, the concrete under the ledge that i remember like hitting my head and popping up and just being like and then getting stitches and whatever doing all that but so i have those kind of memories but as far as being impactful and having i don't know i don't know i don't realize that and don't know because <laughs> we were gone two hours later do you know what I mean? We've left and went on to another town or we were only there for a week or something. You know what I mean? But we were traveling. So it's not like we got to hang out and saw any of the conversations afterwards. Because I know how I am when when I was a kid. We talk about the demo that came through. That's all we talked about till the next demo came through. You know, like who was in town and did what. So I see that side of it. So we were already gone and left and I'm sure people like, you know, obviously it was, it was an impactful thing. You said that they talk about the tricks they saw and who was cool to them, who wasn't cool to them, you know, and what, what. So, yeah, I mean, I understand that I was, a, I've, I've been blessed and lucky enough to, to have been at a lot of demos where people have had that reaction. You know, like I've gotten to, a, you know, around, you go anywhere with Tony Hawk, that's ridiculous. Like you step the demo with Tony Hawk is a whole other beast than a demo with any other skateboarder. You can go with the best skateboarder, you've ever seen eric costin doesn't matter like you're not going to get the turnout that you're going to get for a tony hawk it just doesn't doesn't compare like and there's some like a yeah. couple moments i went out i'm like okay like all right you better what you do today don't fall today you know like there's a lot way too many people here 
So. Well, here's, here's one for you. Here's one for you, Chris. And it just goes to show you never know who's watching because I was at that 94 demo. And did you know you were the first person I ever seen with an eyebrow piercing? <laughs> you know? And I just was like, no way. Like he's put like, he's put like a, a, an earring through his eyebrow, you know? And this was before anyone had him, you know? Funny thing about that eyebrow yeah. piercing, we were in, you remember? we went to the, went out on the Gold Coast. We were on the Gold Coast that night. And I was with Kareem, and I forget, Kareem said something to me, and I was like, man, nah, uh uh-uh. And I'm t- I took it out. And I was, and it wasn't anything, it was something, they were all, I don't know what was going on, but there was like, I knew that people were trying to probably fight that night, like get crazy and drink and go out and be crazy. Like just, there was the energy going on. Like at the, like everybody was already, whenever we would go out with that many people, like they're getting hammered. Somebody's trying to mess with you. There's something. So somebody's going to get in a fight. Like it just, that was how you, as the older I got, I was the one that had to start kind of like corralling my team and my friends and people away. But early on, you're 18, 19, 20, 21, you're in another country going out, you're going out to party, you're going out to go off. Like, so we were raging. And I remember taking it out. Nah, I'm not wearing this tonight. You guys are getting wild kind of thing. And I got smoked. I got smoked in that eye that night at the bar. And I would have been, it would have ripped out. I would have been so like, it was, so I had a little, I don't know what it was, but I remember taking it out and I never put it back in. That was the last time I had it. So I only had it for that yeah. short time, like right before I went there. Yeah. I remember oh, being boy. bummed that I like it closed up. I couldn't put it back in, but that was, I'd only had it for maybe a week or two before I came there. Yeah. <laughs> There's your eyebrow what a here. Story. Yeah. There was a fight culture in Australia back in the nineties mm. for sure. I, I think it's backed off a lot, maybe around the world, but it's, it was terrible. In hindsight, it was terrible. Absolutely terrible. Yeah. So, man. You know, it's been epic. How are you feeling? Good. Are you getting tired? Getting a sore back? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm always sore. Though. I'm well, sitting in the chair with my back on it too. That's why. Like a stool. Yeah, I don't, I don't want to keep you too much more, Chris, um, and I want to, you know, get on with your evening with your beautiful family. But I do just want to go a little bit back into your, your, your childhood growing up in Florida. Uh, can you just – Tell everyone like where you grew up in Florida and, and how do you reflect on your childhood in that area? Um, yeah, and I grew up in Pensacola. Well, in the panhandle, Pensacola is like the farthest west you can go in Florida before you hit Alabama. And there's it's surrounded by water. There's the beach island, which is an isthmus, and then there's another isthmus in between, and then the bay and then Pensacola. And I lived on the isthmus in between, so we were surrounded by water. And uh, I have fond memories, like great, like fishing, playing baseball, doing all that, like growing up. And then I think eighth grade, that's when, then then all my memories just focused around skating. And then it all went to skating. And like my main thing was to get to any bigger city than I was at for skate spots. So I was always like wanting to go, but I was 15, 14, 15, you know, so I never really, it was able to go. And then we moved to Atlanta for two years while I was, when I, when I was 15, we moved to Atlanta for two years. And then I moved back down to, to Florida and graduated from the, the high school that I started at. And, uh, so that was cool getting a taste of a big city being from Florida because it's and having Hills up in Atlanta. Cause there's no Florida's flat. So that was a big, that's, 
that's the thing that I remember now. And then coming back, I was like, holy shit, it is flat here. Like there aren't any hills in Florida. <laughs> like there's none. So like going to Atlanta and actually having hills and having to learn how to negotiate, like already being good on your skateboard and learning how to ride it. But then everything's a hill. Like, and then you have to really learn how to ride your skateboard. Like I think everybody, if they're going to start skating, should start and at least live where there's some hills and deal with fear and speed. Sometimes, you know, it's a good, good measuring stick. Yeah. And you know, were you, were you quite close with your family? Yeah. Yeah. My mom and dad were married until my dad passed. He passed when I was 23. And, uh, Mm. but yeah, great family. They were, you know, married, not broken. So it was, I have fond memories of, of being a kid and my childhood and stuff. So, yeah, I had a listener ask, um, so I had a question from Bill Blankenship asked, uh, he's seen a photo of you on a beach with your father in a magazine once, and he said it looked like a tribute to your father. Uh, his question is like, how influential was your your father or your or mother on on your skateboarding? They, uh, 100%, <laughs> without, really? without their support, like I wouldn't, I would not, I wouldn't have, wouldn't have become a pro skateboarder. I wouldn't have become a, I would have done, I would have probably quit if it wasn't not quit. Like, but they were the ones who took me to the contest. Like, so quick story and it'll show where my, where my admiration and where my, where it all comes from and why I hide my, hold my parents on such a high pedestal for what they did. So I was 15. We'd moved to, it was when we moved to Atlanta and I played baseball and the whole time, a whole youth as a kid, you pay, pay to play league. You never have to try out. You pay and you play all my dad wanted. And I made all stars every year. Like I was at the age I was, I was way better at baseball than I ever was at skateboarding at a younger age. You know, I just, I was going like, I was playing pro baseball. Like that was my career path. That's what I was doing with the baseball camps, player of the week, all stars every year. But the one thing like, and yes, of course I'm going to, make the high school team. It's that's a no brainer. But my dad just wanted me to earn it one time. That was his thing. We moved from Pensacola up to Atlanta and I started a new school and didn't I just went skating. I lied to my dad, didn't go to tryouts, told him I didn't make the team. And then like an asshole, I still played baseball that year in the pay to play league. And my coach knew that I went to the high school and was like, why aren't you playing for the high school? Like, what are you, like, what are you doing? Like you saw how good I was. What are you doing? Why? And I didn't think anything of it. I was like, ah, oh, I don't know, whatever. I missed trials kind of thing. And I just remember being, I, I played shortstop and I remember being out at shortstop. And I was like, looked over at the dugout, looked at the bleachers and I see my mom and my dad there. And then I see my coach from high school come over and like lean and start talking to the coach and then I see my coach point to my dad and the coach hops up and they, my dad, and I'm like, Oh fuck. Cause the coach, the high school coach is talking to my dad. I told my dad that I tried out and didn't make the team. The coach is talking to my dad. Like, why is your son goes to Roswell high? Why isn't your son playing for the team? My dad. And I see my dad just go and stand up in the bleachers. And I was like, and I, so then I, after that, I just, I don't know, I yelled at when he went off, like pissed. Like, what are you doing? You lied to me. And, that, and we had never argued ever. Like we were always, we, I mean, you know, we had a, the best relationship. He was my best friend, you know, like he'd give me shit and I'd get in trouble, but we never, I was never grounded, nothing. Like, so my parents were my best friends and I loved them and never Amazing. had issues, you know? And 
I never lied to them. I never had to, never needed to. I never had to sneak out or anything. If I was doing anything, I'd just tell my parents, they were, all right, be careful, don't do anything stupid, got it out. So that was how, how I was raised. And I lied to him. I could have just told him I didn't, but I lied to him. And he was super pissed. And that was that year after that was the first year that we were really butting heads. Like I'd go skating, my grades dropped a little in this and that. It would be blamed on skating and skating. So he just, that was a scapegoat for him with skating. So we were living in Atlanta in Roswell on the north side. So that was my, that was my freshman year on the sophomore year. We moved down to the south side. And again, like my dad and I, we're still arguing, butting heads. I told my mom, give me a glove. I'm, and I started, I talked to the team, talked to everybody. So for like two weeks before tryouts, like I was already practicing with the team. I was pretty much on the team, but I didn't tell my dad any of this. Didn't tell him anything. And it was like, oh, two weeks before my 16th birthday and the Monday before tryouts. And tryouts were on Saturday and it was Monday. I went skating after school and, I don't know, ended up, fell super weird and fell and I broke my elbow on my right arm, my throwing arm. And uh, I had had to have surgery and they put the cast on too tight. So when I came out, they just kept giving me shots of Demerol and knocking me out. And like I was in pain. And so I ended up, I got sick and I was in the, in the hospital for like five days after surgery. You're supposed to get habit and then go home. So the whole time I'm in there, like I'm in pain and they're just knocking me back out. My mom told my dad that what I had done, you know, like, yeah, he heard him say, cause my dad was pissed that I broke my throwing arm skating, you know, and I wasn't going to be able to play baseball the same. So his world, you know, he's like, my son, uh, he's not going to be able to do what he's meant to do. So, she told him, well, he was, he's been busting his ass. I got him a glove. He's been trying, he's been practicing with the school. He's like got tryouts this weekend. Like he's told me he's basically on the team. He's just got to go through the thing. He was doing this all for you. Cause he didn't want to be arguing with you anymore. And, uh, so the last day when I finally like woke up and they figured out what was going on and I was able to sit up and eat and stuff in the hospital, he had sat down and I remember him going, all right. So I got some good news and I got some bad news. Well, he's like, all right, what's that? And he's like, well, the good news, I'll give you the bad news first. Like, you're not going to skate for six months. And I was like, all right, well, I figured that. And he's like, he's like, the good news is there's a contest in, when we were living in Atlanta, he's like, there's a contest in Jacksonville at Kona in seven and a half months. So you think you can get ready in a month and a half to go down to that contest? And I was like, I should be able to. And then, like, you know, I was like a month and a half, two months after I came home from surgery and I had the cast on, I was already skating with my cast on. That's why, like, if you look at photos of me or look at footage, look at my right arm. It's, I always hold it with my thumb. And it's because I had for a ye- almost a year, I had an elbow cast when I skated and my thumb was out. And that's the one that there's one thing I hate about my style. Now I always see, I can see a cast on me when I skate my arm. I was like, anytime I do a trick, wherever my arm's at, it looks, you can always just picture, draw an elbow cast on me anytime you want. Whenever you see a photo of me, (laughs) I'm going to check it out. I'm going to check it out now. Yeah. Yeah. But he, so when, after that, when I woke up, like I never, he was my biggest supporter, took me to every contest, took me everywhere. Like, was at the NSA finals when I got second and turned pro for Dogtown. Like he was there. We went to Europe. Like my parents came to, like they were there. Like they made it happen. If it was like when I moved to California, I turned 18. I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm out. No, you're not. Like my parents, my dad moved from Pensacola to Birmingham so he could work a job to 
be able to afford us to move. Me, my mom, my sister, we moved to California. My dad stayed back for a year to work the job until he transferred out to California and he came out. So, like, they bent over backwards for me just to ride my skateboard. So, like, come, it's a it was a weird, and they weren't in a corny way. It wasn't like, I know Tony Hawk got shit on all over the time because of his dad being part of the NSA. And, like, there's a whole, there's a whole thing about that. Like, I never had that with my dad. Like, my dad was in it 100%. Like, he, everybody knew him. And every, all the pro skateboarders, all the older guys. Like, my dad was, like, good friends with Bill Danforth. Like, they, like... We met him at a demo when I was young, and like my dad, they'd go oh, wow. drink scotch and beer and stuff during the demo, and I'd be just hanging out. And so, like, I got—I was lucky to have him. And so, yeah, for anybody to talk, like in that time, parents weren't behind you in skating. They, you, you were doing something, and like, and I was going that way until my mom told my dad what I was trying to do, and then I got hurt, and then I never looked back, and I didn't have to because they were always there. See, that's, that's progressive parenting. And I mean, what a, an amazing influence on your parenting that is. I mean, you know, I want, yeah. I, and I, I, I don't know. It's weird. Cause I, I, I hear so many people talk about like they had a shitty relationship with their father and they want to be the change and don't want to do, you know, they don't want to. So they, and that's their motivation for being a great father. And like, I'm, I, my motivation to be a great father is to emulate my dad because he was a great father. You know what I mean? So it's like, I, I don't have any negative, I don't know. I don't have any negative of like, you know, I probably, the only, if the only thing I carry with me probably is just some maybe unresolved guilt from him passing, you know, things like that, but nothing of like, my dad did this to me when I was a kid and I have this issue because of that. I had a bad child. No, my dad was my baseball coach was there for me. He was there, you know, like he was there. He was very, very hand, like involved with what I was doing, you know? And it was funny because when I started skating, like he didn't know shit about skateboarding at all, Mm. but he just knew people and knew sports and he knew like he could watch me and tell me what to do. And I used to get pissed at me like, dad, you know what you're talking about? But he was spot on. Like, don't, don't flip your board on that one. Just push past that ramp. (laughs) And go faster, go faster. Stop being a little bitch. Go faster. And so it was like, I'm, is that why you go fast? Probably. I mean, that's always what, I mean, that's what always drew, drew me to you is just how fast you do everything. Um, like you, you'd be on flat, your flat ground pushing as hard as you can. That has to and do was, with my senior year being on Pensacola Beach, skating the the parking lot that we skated all the time. It's the boardwalk parking lot, curves everywhere, man pads and stuff. Flat as a board. Watching Julian Stranger skating in the Santa Cruz video going down the hill. And he's just like, and these are the little nuances now that I look back on and I look on skateboarding. is like when you carve into or down a curb cut, you know, and get speed. Like if you can do that and get speed without making it look, you know, there's a, there's a, a beauty in that, you know. And he would just go down the street and wait in his trucks and he was flying because he's bombing hills there's no hills in florida so i would i made it i would make a joke not a joke but i would tell my friends i'm like all right every flat ground trick i learn once i make it five times in a row i flip it and then that was the game like you don't until you make it five times in a row you you're not you can't move on like that was in my head i would do so if it was a 360 flip i'd have to do 360 flip five of them in a row and as soon as i did five of them in a row I would have to do it and push as fast as I could. No lie. Six, seven tries, full pucks. And as soon as I put my foot back on the board, 
do a three flip. And I would eat, I ate so much shit. Like that's how I would do my park on. I would push as fast as I would go. I would do stupid stuff. I would take my top bushing off and put my trucks on so my trucks would just wiggle waggle around and go as fast. Well, like day one. What's that? Like day one. Like day one kind of style. Yeah. Like just completely wiggly woggly and just go and do slappies as fast as I could go. Like push 10 times into a slappy and just grind. And like that was a thing that I had to do. And then in, then I didn't do that when I started filming and skating, and then it just became a part of my skating was skating fast. So just everything looked better going faster, like even the falls. I better. think so. they do. Yeah. <laughs> people loved it. I love it. Everyone I, and other people I've spoke to love it. So, but I just, I really, I just want to say one more thing about your father, Chris. I, I really love hearing that story, especially as a father myself. Um, I think that. Yeah, I hear that narrative a lot from people like, oh, I'm affected by my father. I was impacted. I'm, I'm traumatized by this and that. But, you know, like it doesn't have to – that's not the norm. Like it's just really refreshing to actually hear just <laughs> that, admira- that, that, admira- that admiration. That admiration. It does happen other ways, you, you know. like. So, yeah, man. So thank you. Thanks for sharing that, man. Yeah, of I really, course. I really love that. Yeah. Well, listen, brother, I feel like I could talk to you all day, <laughs> but um, it's uh, – We've already been on for a long time, including our technical. Yes, we've had a, we've had a good one. <laughs> and I thank you. I thank you for your patience there. Yeah, no worries. Listen, I, I I ask all guests to come to the podcast with like a cause they want to support or advocate for, and um, what I do is ten uh, percent of all Patreon income every month will be dispersed to the the causes that my guests uh, raise. So what have you got for us today? Uh, I want to grind to do for grind for life. Grind for, grind for life. Yeah. I just, I, especially now that I'm in Florida in St. Pete, they do a lot of the regional contests that come through town and every time, whether it's a spot or the con or the, the park here, like grind for life has a booth and he's always out there and he's there. He's a gnarly skateboarder. He's about skateboarding, loves it. And, it's just it's gives back to cancer for cancer research and like I want I, every time I see him at an event I want to do more for him and that's just naturally what comes to mind who I want to help out. Amazing. All right, so there's a link there's a link to Grind for Life in this episode's show notes. So if you scroll down, you can click on it, you can donate, you can see how you can be involved, and you can find this episode on terriblehappytalks.com. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Buzzsprout, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and a bunch and a few other platforms. But whatever platform you like to listen on, it always helps if you uh, you know follow and subscribe, and it just gives me the opportunity to extend the messages of legends like Mr. Chris Markovich. I'm greatly appreciated. So, Thank you. The other thing, I guess, I just want to finish on Chris is like. You seem like a very content, inspired human right now. And I just want to know, like, what's next for you? Or is this the next? Um, no, there's more. Um, if, actually, you know, are you filming a video part? Yeah, yeah, no, that's what I'm meaning. Yeah, no, I have a video part coming out. I think hopefully I don't want it. To, I just want people to watch it and be like, damn. <laughs> like, okay. All right. Like, that's all I want. People are. I just want, like, people are. Want people to know, like, I don't have anything to prove, but I do to myself. So I'm going to go as hard as I can for this. You know what I mean? And still. Yeah. Still. Yeah. And it's why not? If my, like, 
I'm not to that point yet where I want to go and just, I don't want to, all right. I'm not to the point of going to the skate park with a cruiser board. I'm not there yet. I'm just not, you know what I mean? Like, I don't think you'll ever be there to be honest. No, no, (laughs) maybe not. I don't know. I just feel like I, I know that there's tricks that I want to do and tricks that I can still do that people aren't, you don't see them all the time. So why not do them? It doesn't matter that this is your, 50 years old, as long as I don't look like it, you know, and I don't look stupid. Like I'm slow trying to, I don't know. I don't, I look at my footage and that's the point of what I'm talking about. What I was talking about earlier, doing it right. Like if I, as long as I do the tricks, right. It doesn't matter how old I am. Do you know what I mean? Like it can, it doesn't like, yeah, maybe I may lose a little power in it, but the technique and the skill is there to do it. And like, I mean, not all the time. Like, I don't have the consistency. Like, I know my body. I have a small spurts when I can use my energy, and, you know, I'm very conscious about it. But, like, I like I said, the consistency is not there, but I can still do tricks that, like, snap back and they're, like, they work. You know what I mean? Like You, you love a battle, don't you? You love being in a battle. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. and it's nothing – I like the moments where I know I'm getting close on some deep, deep, deep down level. I know it is. And I still like, hold on to it when I'm about to pass out or I'm like, can't do it. I don't have anything left. My legs are shaking. I know that's when I'm going to make the next one. Like I know it, you know what I mean? And it's like, cause I've done it so many times. It's like when I've been bleeding bloody, I can't walk and like, all right, one more. I'll just one more. And I just get up there and just be like, you're already going to hurt tomorrow. I'm already sore. So just stop being like, just stop and go, Just you know, and then you just do it one more time and then make it. But you love that feeling. You love that feeling of being sore when you've battled a trick and you've landed it. There's no better feeling. Yeah. There's like, there's not like, nobody can take that from you. You just like went through like my, my all right, my buddy DJ just said this to me the other day, and it made so much sense. It made me laugh, and it made so much sense. I was trying the trick of him bad, the cab back nose bump that I was trying in the park. During that, he was there, and I was like laying down, like at the end of the lap. I had already stopped like four times, and I was going about to go for one more go, and I was about to stand up on my last little go. And he was like, "What did he say?" He's like, "You." He's like, "In another dimension right now, you are slaying a dragon." And I was like, that is awesome. Like the way you said it, like you're just going to battle. Like you just slayed a dragon. Like you're like in another dimension. And I was like, you're, you know, you're right. Like the, as much energy as I put out and like went through and went for it. Like who knows what repercussions yeah. that went out. But yeah. I can see, that. I I can see, the, I can see the NFT. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I just thought it was really cool how he said that. And that's like, it, 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 there's something satisfying about, there's a lot of times when I start the battle, I don't know if I can make the trick. Like a lot of the, like, when I know I can, I'm like, when I'm sitting there and I'm really thinking about it, but when I really put it to, I'm like, damn, that's going to be really hard to land this way and come around. It's going to be really hard, but, and then want to work and get close. And then it's like, okay. And then boom, boom, boom. And then, then it, and then it happens and then it goes and it's like, you know, the patterns and it becomes familiar, even though it sucks and you're in pain, you're hurting, you're bleeding. But once you get through and you're done, like, no one can take that from you, what you just did. But it, that point of where you get that little taste of like, hang on, this could happen, 
it's, is it safe to say that then it's you don't feel the pain anymore and you don't care about you don't care about the blood and, and how tired you are because it's like you've had a little taste and and now you're all in. There's no going back. You're either going to land it or you're going to break yourself. Is that is that what you're sort of saying? Oh, you feel the pain. Every bit of it hurts. Every bit of it sucks. But you're in it. You know what I mean. And you're just gonna. You have to do it. You know. But it makes like it doesn't go away. Where you're like, all right, I made. It almost makes it worse. Like fuck, I just got that close, and now I got it. Like, uh, you know. So sometimes the it always happens where the within the first three tries you land bolts and whip out, or you step off, or you just didn't think you were going to get that close, and you're like, oh. And you know in your head, like, oh, that was fifth try. Now I know it's going to be a good hour before I even get back to that try. You know what I mean? Like, And then, then it's just yeah. that, I don't know. I Somebody had a, a mic on me to hear my inner thoughts while I'm filming, if there was that was possible. Oh, man. Yeah. Like, the shit that goes on in here when I'm in the middle of one of those, it's... But you're still surprising. You're still surprising yourself. So you're you're landing tricks that you didn't think you could land. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That two seventy nose bunt that um, that was on the nine club. Like I've done that trick before on ledges, and I've done it on things like small curb stuff. So I've done. The, I know the motion. I've done it on quarter like alley oop on quarter pipe. I've done it on transition. So it's it's there. But the day I was, it's that's a banana peel. That thing that I was doing on. It's so slippery. And I just did a scoop ollie, and I was trying to get it around and get around, and I'm like, oh, I don't know if this is going to work. And then in my head, I was like, all right, it's literally, there's no, you don't have to go any higher because it's a flat ledge. So if I just do a back swing any nose grind, like I'm going to do that, and then at last second, just push it in, like, because you're only going to turn until it goes into it if you're not landing in a grind. So the neck, once I pictured that, the next try, it went right around into it. And I was like, I think it might definitely film this next one because it feels like it's, you know, I'm, I might be able to do it soon. And then I was riding away. Like it happened the next try. And, I was, and that was like fourth, fifth try maybe. So that's, that never happens for me. I'm usually in it. That was like one of the easiest battles I've had. So that wasn't even a battle. That was just like, it just happened. But Love it, man. It was right. Eldie's pick of the week. Do you, um in your new video part coming out, are you in the streets? Mm-hmm. Are you getting in the streets? Yeah. Okay. So that's, uh, skate. you're going to have skate park footage in your video park? Yeah, yeah for sure. Only because okay. there's – there's tr- because it's Campbell Park that I skate every day, there's – Is that in St. Saint, Saint Petersburg? Yeah. yeah. St. Petersburg. Saint Pe- yeah. There's just tricks that are set up here that aren't – there's no other setups like it. So – or I'm not going to be able to – it's not going to be very accessible for me to go find another obstacle like that. And there's certain tricks that I'm I'm doing and wanting to do on them that are, in my opinion, like, no, I've never seen anybody do them, you know? So, like, it's funny because I, I like to fancy myself as being – I've done a few things at the park that are that I like and are pretty hard. But then, like, Jamie Foy and uh, – <laughs> uh, what's his name? Uh, Felipe Gustavo came here for the Red Bull thing. And, yeah, just watching them skate the park, I was like <laughs> – like they're just goofing around, like just murdering the place. Like it was a whole other level. So like I look at my skating on, you know, and then when the real skaters come and real, like they, it's it's different. What do you mean? It's different. What do you mean when the real? What do you mean when the real? I don't mean that. To, and I don't mean that to like 
I'm not jumping on the tallest ledge there. I'm not. But Jamie Foy kickflip frontside 50-50 did like it was nothing. Do you know what I mean? So that's what I mean. I, yes, yeah, I could do a kickflip 50-50. I don't think I have the legs now. To get, I don't think I ever had the legs to get a kickflip 50-50 as high as that is. Like, that's just a different, like, it's a different type of skateboarding that they learned to do. Because the ledge here at Campbell, it's shoulder, I mean, it's, it's, like, chest high. You have a bank to get to it, so, but it's real I was going to say, is there a bank? And okay. those dudes, like, him and Felipe, kickflip crook on it, front of, like, kickflip front 50-50, but they do them, like, like it's nothing. Like, there was no... If they messed up, it was because somebody got in their way getting there. You know what I mean? It wasn't like they had to yeah. try that trick over and over. Like, it was dialed and it was there. So that's what I mean. Like, there's a whole other level. Yeah, no. When I say the real ones, I mean the dudes that are, like, making their living out of it right now, of traveling to Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Yeah. It's, yeah, they are on another level. And, right. And um, see, that's, I mean, I, I don't that's the one thing that I think I, I have that I've always had, maybe that a lot of dudes don't, like – I'm doing this. I'm not hey, living the dream, like midlife crisis, trying to hold on. Like I'm still just doing what I want to do, having fun doing it. You know, like it's obvious. I don't know. I don't know, man. I, I think, I think, <laughs> I think it trans from what I've seen on your, look, I mean, I'm going off Instagram clips, but it translates in your Instagram clips. It, it does. It translates into a man, having a lot of a lot of fun and but really just because I, I guess I've followed you for the last 20 30 years of watching you skateboard I just feel like I'm just watching someone who is just pure skateboarder and just personifies that and it's like I could just tell that there's no way you could ever stop now it's just so part of you and I mean it's uh, and that in itself, it's like it's like living art in a way, without sounding too. I don't know if that's a cringy thing to say, <laughs> but I, I see that. Nah, it's cool. <laughs> yeah, man, I love it. Um, so, last question: mm-hmm. Tell us about your sponsors. So, you you got you got new sponsors at fifty years of age. Yeah. Like, are you kidding me? <laughs> again, again, like what do you like? Who would have thought that? So, who 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 are you writing for right now? Uh, I'm writing for Techni Skateboards. Um, Pretty amazing, like weird full circle for that. Like in 2018, they hit me up to do an artist to do some stuff for them art wise. So I did a, a graphic, like three or four board series for them back in 2018. And then in November, they reached out again for, an, they wanted to do another graphic. And then at that point, that's when they started talking about actually having me on the team and have a pro model instead of just having art boards. So that was like the first legit, like, okay, I've got a board sponsor. And then uh, after that, I started riding for silver trucks and FKD bearings and um, cloud nine grip tape and anchor skate supply and the biggest little skateboard company. It's a hardware company out of Reno. So yeah, just it feels weird. Now, like looking at that now, like back in the day I had all these sponsors and now I just feel like a NASCAR or something now, you know, I'm back. (laughs) Another one, but. It's it's yeah, rad yeah. to have the support, and I'm I'm blessed to that even you know to even get part of things like this. So I yeah. it's cool. Like I take pride putting the stickers on my board now. Like it's a, like these dudes are not taking a chance, but these dudes are showing love to a 50 year old man. They don't need to. There's so many people that they could be giving their product to, you know, and like they're letting me have it. Like that's awesome. Like and I and letting me have it for me now, and not letting me have it for what I did from before. You know what I mean? Like that's 
that's the coolest thing. Like, I don't know. I, I was thinking about this the other day. Like, I saw it on a commercial or something or some meme or something where they were like, somebody said something like, you're your 18 year old you be pissed at your at you now or whatever something like that like i started thinking about that and like i think that 18 year old me would be psyched on the 50 year old me you know what i mean like because i know like i have friends that i look at and i'm like dude you're 20 year old you would whoop the shit out of you right now you're an asshole compared to what you used to be you know what i mean like it's they're totally went left and went the opposite of like of what they had always been about kind of thing you know so I don't know if that is anything to be happy about, but I think my 18 year old me would be pretty cool with who I am. Wow, man. I've never thought of it like that. What an interesting perspective. Let me think about my 18 year old me. Yeah, no, I think I'd like me. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, yeah, not, not like, I mean, if you had to get some job that you really didn't want and you had to change, I mean, maybe you had to for some reason and you had to get a cubicle job or nine, like something like that you just hated, you know, and years later it just that became what you did. You know what I mean? Like at 18, you would have never let yourself get it. You would think I would never do that. And then you look at yourself when you're 50 and you've had this you know, shitty job you didn't like, you know, that you should have years before it got too deep into it, you should have seen that you didn't like that and been like, or you didn't want to do that for the rest of your life. You don't want to do that for the rest of your life. You shouldn't do it. Don't get caught doing that. You know, if there's something in your life you don't like, you need to change it. You know, it's not going to change on its own. You have to be the one to do it. So might as well do it. I've talked, I've talked a lot about that concept on, on here and uh, I'm a little bit torn. I was, cause I'm very much of like, yeah, do what you love and you've got to be happy. However, like I've had sort of, people talk to me about it and say, well, is it also noble that that person sort of sacrificed to provide for their family? I mean, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, and it's like they grind, they grinded it out at a job because they were able to, you know, put their children through college and things like that. So I respect that aspect of it as well. Um, well however, is, I do believe not like a, a, and I, I don't want to sound like that was a negative thing, that no, thing but I do hear, no, I hear it all more often than not about like, do what you love because you don't want to look back on your life and blah, 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 do something you hated for 50 years. And it's like, well, yeah, but you know, then you got this scenario of having to provide for your family and do it. Then I mean, if it came down to it, I'm working at McDonald's, you know, yeah. if, if there's yeah. ever a time when I have to do, you know, I'm going to do what has to be done to provide for my family regardless. Absolutely. So absolutely. It's not, there's no, yeah, prideful, but that goes, there's no, I'm not going to be, you know, I'll work at McDonald's basket. Yeah. So you're sort of talking about, you You can make realistic adjustments in terms of your happiness. I still think that like, and for me, I, adjustments I'm making are maybe the people I associate with and um, maybe the decisions I'm making around my health things like that and yeah trying to be i guess at my age as practical as i can you know there is times where i just want to burn my life down and and just literally you know walk away from my job and things like that but yeah yeah i've been thinking i've been thinking uh, maybe it is a, a part of being in your 40s too it's like i mean i think you get to a point of, with when you are getting older you just want to have good people in your life on every level is that how you feel no that's how i feel mm-hmm. now and i i feel that i'm finally there like 
I mean, everyone that I deal with in my daily life, that's my reality. There's not one person that is a dead weight in the sense of energy or attitude or anything, or they're doing sketchy stuff or they're in lane things like everybody that I'm, I mean, you had Ricky Roberts on your, on your podcast and that's one of the people I skate. Like that's the type of human I have in my life now. And if that's a reflection of who's in my life, like that, that's, yeah, I'm definitely in a, you know, if I have types of people like that in my life, I'm way better placed in my life than I've ever been. You know, like everyone in my, in my reality is, a, is good. So that's so good. I, do you think you're getting better at identifying the, absolutely. The absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I can call bullshit on you before, before I really should, you know, like, and I don't, but I'm like, Oh, I'm on. Oh, mm-hmm. all right. Yeah, man. Oh, man. I mean, it's funny when you can see somebody and you can just tell by their gait and their movement, you know, like, all right, wow. all right, yeah. I'm going to start, I'm going to shy away. And it's like, and if you're around them for any, any length of time, you know, whether like you can tell like, ah, oh, I, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, there's, that's why, that's where, that's why that feeling came from. I don't know. A lot of it, just yeah. energy to tell people's energy. Hey, listen, uh, I want to oh – God, I've got one more little – can I ask you one more little question? <laughs> That's cool. I know. I know like, I'm really conscious of, of, of time. But, I mean, I, I don't set a time limit usually, but I'm just – there was a docuseries on the barracks. I think it was called Keep On Pushing years ago. Do you remember that? Do you remember the film? And you, you had a partner. There it is. What in the way? Keep On Pushing, yeah. It's my buddy Ricky, my, my best friend Ricky. Did keep on pushing, Ricky. Eatonball. Ricky, um, oh, he's a legendary photographer, legendary photographer, and I think he filmed that docu that documentary. Yeah, keep it was like a short, a short, a short film on a red camera. Those amazing cameras, you know, and I and he had all these images of legendary skaters pushing through the streets and just emphasizing just the way they push, you know. Mm-hmm. And you were one of them, and I just wanted to say I loved that. That's awesome. And thanks. And, and I'll, I'll let him know that I, I talk to him all the time, and I, I'm going to tell him to watch the podcast. Um, he sent me this not too long ago. He started making them, and that's his. No way, yeah, dude! I, I didn't even see that. Yeah, he moved to California. Like we grew up in Pensacola together, skated together. Like we're childhood friends. So like seeing him do what he's doing, it's 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 awesome. Like knowing where we came yeah, from, it's the best. Really. I watched his podcast on the Nine Club, isn't yeah. it? Nine Club as well. Have those guys hit you up to be on, on the Nine Club yet? Yeah, yeah, I'm doing it on the uh, next month, end of June. Yeah, no way, dude. Yeah. Yes. That's another thing that's sort of working on. So that's. You heard it. We're lining up the trip right now. Uh, I think I'm leaving like the 25th of June. I'll be out there for a week. I'm going to do the Nine Club and then try to go film some stuff at the barracks. And then just link up with filmers and photographers out there and make the rounds. And it'll be like, I haven't been out there in, a, in like, I think like right two years now, almost two years since I've been back to California. So it'll be a little weird. I haven't been back there in a while, but yeah, be good. You never thought about basing, basing yourself in California full time, like over the no, years, you never thought me, about st- staying out there? Well, no, I lived out there for, I, it took me damn near 20 years to get away from there. Like I've lived yeah, between, okay. oh. I moved to San Diego in 1990 and then 
until two years ago, I pretty much lived in San Diego for the that 30 year span with short stints in you know, Orange County. I lived in New York for a year. I lived in Atlanta for a year and I moved different places, but been in California and tried to get away and just tried to get out and then never did. And then finally moved. And this is the longest that I've lived away from there. And I, I, I don't see myself moving back there. I, I just don't like Florida is Florida is a dream. It's got everything you need. Yeah. It's home. All right, brother. It's been epic, and I think we'll leave it there, hey? Yes, sir. Mr. Chris Markovich, everyone. Thank you for having me. It's been fun. Hey, so before we kick off the podcast, I just want to talk about getting your morning kick in Belmont Coffee. Belmont is owned by skaters, barbers, traders, and musicians. They came together with the idea of creating a co-pilot that's next to you on the late night drives, early mornings on the job site, or a midday pick-me-up, ethically sourced beans in a sustainable can, and ready to go when you are. Use the code THT to score a discount at belmont.com. That's Belmont, B-E-L-L-M-O-T-T dot com.